Hello and welcome to the Next Level Podcast. I'm Tim Miller. Uh, We're here with a special bonus episode. It is a preview of a conversation that JVL and I had on YouTube with Alexander Vindman, my man, an American hero, a great patriot, who's coming in live from Kiev to give us a really kind of succinct breakdown of what is happening inside of Russia, what is happening inside of Ukraine. If you need a primer on this, uh, this is a great conversation. He, he reads between the lines through some of the stuff you've seen in the news. And just wanted to use this opportunity to try to get you folks to come on and join us on YouTube. We're going to be having more of these conversations, especially as we get into 2024, over there on the YouTube page to get a little bit out of, you know, the podcast bubble, bring in some of the YouTube peeps, you know, bring in some more folks into the Bulwark ecosystem. So if you haven't yet, Subscribe to the Bulwark's YouTube, subscribe to the Next Level's YouTube, go watch this conversation, and that way you'll be updated next time we go live with Newsmakers. Enjoy, and we'll see you back here on Sunday for a big conversation with Pablo Torre. Peace. Hello, friends. I'm Jonathan Last from the Bulwark, here with my buddy Tim Miller, also from the Bulwark. And we are joined by, amazingly enough, Alexander Vindman, who is coming to us live from Kiev. Alex needs no introduction. Obviously, he is the husband of Rachel Vindman, one of the premier <laughs> podcast hosts of our day with the SWP show. It must be a tremendous honor to be married to somebody that amazing. Alexander. Is it- yes, it is. And I have to remind her of how lucky I am very often. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, otherwise I get some of the heat that, you know, people on, on uh, Twitter and social media get if they get out of line. But yeah, it's uh, uh, lucky. Let me do the real intro. So Alexander, obviously a uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel from the U.S. Army. He was Director of European Affairs for the NSC. Uh, he is a, I'm sorry, I'm going to use the word anyway, a great patriot. And I'm a, a giant fanboy, even though we have just met 30 seconds ago. Uh, Also, the author of a memoir, Here, Right Matters, an American Story. You should all go and do yourselves a solid and go and buy it. I listen to it on Audible because I listen to all of my books, and it's a a fabulous, fabulous book. Okay. Alex, what just happened? Okay. Uh, That's it. You know, it's interesting. Uh, There is a lot of speculation about what caused this? I think I've got you know a pr- probably about as good a, a uh, analysis and summary as anybody else. Basically, this was uh, one crazy dude going nuts, losing his mind. That's Pergozin, who happened to be uh, to ru- uh, to own a private military company and having achieving uh, you know unexpected catastrophic success, threatened the very foundation of Putin power. That's the soundbite. Uh, to get into a little bit more, what's been going on for for months now, you know, it's actually been longer than that. Probably, you know, some of the some of these issues had to have emerged back all the way back in 2018 when Prigozhin uh, Prigozhin's folks Wagner went up against you know U.S. Delta uh, and just got shellacked, like 300 dead in uh, outside of uh, the city of Derizor in uh, in western in Syria. And, um, you know, where they, they called for support from the Russian military and the Russian military was like, I don't we don't know who you guys are. I mean, of course they do. Uh, you know, Putin himself recently attested to the fact that uh, Wagner gets gets funded to the tune of about a billion dollars a year. It, it takes a lot to run a private army. Um, and he did this. You know, the Russians have been doing this for plausible deniability for all their nefarious dealings in North Africa and, and, and Central Africa. You know, basically uh, supporting um, authoritarian leaders and coups and things of that nature. 
But anyway, so if that was the seeds over the course of this war, which has gone terribly for the Russians for about 16 months, the uh, kind of probably the shock troops, the most effective troops have been uh, Wagner PMC. And uh, they got some of the hard tasks. They were told to secure uh, Bakhmut. It's almost an irrelevant city uh, that's taken on huge symbolic meaning in Eastern Ukraine. And after losing you know, tens of thousands of troops, uh, lots of them were convicts that, the, that uh, Wagner recruited from, from prisons, um, they managed to, to actually uh, evict probably quite briefly the, the Ukrainian forces uh, at a very, very heavy toll. But throughout the whole time, Prigozhin was complaining about how little support he was getting from the Russians, and part he was doing it as an excuse to say why, explain why he, you know, his troops weren't weren't able to secure it earlier. But maybe there's a grain of truth to the fact that they weren't getting enough air support or artillery support and things of that nature. This all kind of came to a head because Prigozhin's been increasingly critical, and he basically lost his mind and you know called uh, Shoigu, the head of the Russian, the Minister of Defense, and the Chief of the General Staff Gerasimov like traitors. And at which point the those folks tried to roll Wagner back into the military saying we're you know we pay your bills anyway we're gonna you guys are gonna have to for, uh, be forced to sign on as uh, members of the armed forces and in a play to you know this was kind of inter internal fighting uh, or what in russian is called a razborka you know kind of settling out amongst mafia clans or something like that he made a play to do a demonstration and a march on on rostov and you know, potentially there was supposed to be a visit of the of the Minister of Defense, Shoigu and, and Grasimov, and he was going to you know basically capture him and you know uh, extract his concession, which is reserving control. Instead, what ended up happening is those guys weren't there. Maybe it's possible the FSB got word of it ahead of time. Those guys weren't there, so instead he completely unopposed made it to Rostov, seized the Southern Military District headquarters that's responsible for this war, you know, to the cheers of the population, and then because he was so successful. It's like, oh, you know what? Let's go just head up north. So he split a force and head up north. Again, completely unopposed, made it to within 200 kilometers of, of uh, Moscow. Putin hopped on a plane, left. Oligarchs hopped on a plane, left. When you know he wasn't planning to topple Putin, he was actually thought he was doing a service, doing a solid to Putin by by highlighting how bad these these uh, military guys are, and he's being the, he was serving the good king uh, by. Uh, identifying these corrupt actors and, and having him removed, but he wasn't ready to start a, a civil war. So when he was called on it, he basically buckled and, and turned around and left. And of course, there's the nuances of Lukashenko, the strong man from Belarus coming in, you know, how this went down. If you listen to Lukashenko, he's like, well, Putin called me all hysterical and like, you know, weeping. And all, <laughs> you know, I, I was like, calm down, Putin, calm down. Yeah, I, I, this is a dramatic reenactment. So calm down, Putin. I got this. Don't worry about it. It's like, oh, but he's not going to take the phone call. We can't do it. We can't do it. And he's like, no, don't worry, Putin. Lukashenko says, I got it. And, you know, P P Lukashenko so solves the whole thing. So now uh, Prigozhin is potentially in hiding in, or in, you know, in exile in, in uh, Belarus. Putin's trying to do his own spin on the fact that his country almost was toppled by, by an actor that the, the government was paying and frankly, an extension of the state. And, uh, you know, military didn't come in to, to rescue him. And really, frankly, it was, a, you know, a bluff or kind of calling Prigozhin that saved it. So Putin is obviously responsible. He could have put a stop to this anytime. Uh, he could have said, nope, uh, I, I just shut up Prigozhin. You know, uh, um, you're, you're, you have your job to do, do it or something like that, or firing uh, Shoigu. I mean, this is all Putin's doing. And he looks, 
extremely kind of damaged now, uh, damaged in the eyes clearly of Lukashenko, who's like basically talking to him like he's a, like a kid brother or something like that, uh, and probably damaged in the eyes of you know, China and every other place around the world. And he's putting some spin, you know, trying to fake it until he makes it say, believe, you know, with the, this impression that he's everything's under control. He's been doing some public appearances and bringing the military in behind, praising him for their valiant defense, which obviously didn't quite happen. Uh, and trying to demonstrate to himself that he's in control, as well as to the elites that uh, undergird the, the Putinist regime that he's in control, but nevertheless damaged. And, you know, uh, we're finding ourselves in a completely different situation than we were a week ago with regards to what Russia looks like internally, quite brittle, what uh, perceptions are around Ru uh, Russia and Putin are around the world. Uh, the question is, in my view, is what the perceptions are in our own leadership. And right. that's what scares me a little bit is that our own leadership, you know, the Biden administration may draw the wrong lessons from this. All right. So I had a couple of questions that I'm going to let Tim, Tim come in and drive to. I'm sorry, Timothy. Um, no, the first, the first one very, I mean, this is honestly an academic concern, but I'm curious anyway, is this deal with Prigozhin a real deal or is he going to fall out of a, you know, a, a first floor window in a month? You know, it's, it, it can't, can't possibly be a real deal. Just because the fact is that you know, Putin needs to settle the score, in order to look like he's you know he's under he's got everything under control, he needs to settle the score. He can't have Pergozin potentially you know with with thousands of troops that may or may not be loyal to him out there in, in the position to potentially relaunch another coup. Uh, he needs to to, to squash him. Um, it seems to me a little bit hard. To, I mean, I understand what what to a certain extent why that hasn't happened yet. Uh, because Putin needs to make sure that he kind of, frankly, under undermines the very foundations of of Prigozhin's. Well, he has uh, to digest mind. Wagner, right? Yeah, yeah he, he has, has to digest. Exa that. That's yeah. exactly right. He has to digest Wagner, and then he could deal with Prigozhin in turn. And Prigozhin, you know, frankly, knows this, uh, so it, does, it doesn't doesn't make a huge. He's he's not the smartest man, Prigozhin, by the way. He's 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 just an effective thug. So uh, it's. It's unclear how this is going to settle out. I think there are implications for Prigozhin. There's implications for Wagner. There's implications for the Russian armed forces, the elites, and frankly, the conduct of, the, of this war in Ukraine. To hear the rest of this conversation, head over to the Bulwark YouTube channel and click on live.